Amen, amen. Thank you, students. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, our students are taking more of a, uh, a part in, in leading our worship, and I'm excited about that. Um, look for every fifth Sunday that we have. Uh, look for them to be leading in our worship uh, during those services. I'm so excited about that. Uh, heard him sing the song today, Here I Am to Worship. Um, that's the first song after I received a call to ministry. It's the first song that uh, I led in a service um, where I was to be the worship leader. And uh, trust me, um, it was not as good as what you just heard just now. Um, and uh, it was an early start to what God would ultimately call me to in ministry. And so um, thank you students for uh, your part in that. Um, that caught me reminiscent as I was sitting there listening to, to the song and, and just thinking back. And something that we often do at the end of every year is we often reminisce. We often uh, go back to the things that have happened uh, during the year. For some of us, there's been big things that have happened. There's been promotions. There's been uh, monumental life things that have happened. New children, new relationships, new partners, new business, all those things. We look back at the year and there's also uh, things that teared our hearts. Broken relationships, there's lost loved ones, there's uh, times of struggle, times of trial, times of uh, sorrow in our lives. And we take a moment to look back at those things. And we should. It's a good opportunity every year to take a moment and look back. Because there's a reminder in each of those things. Whether it be in the loss and in the sorrow of the year, whether it be in the triumph and joy of the year, I can almost guarantee you, in fact, I can assure you, that God was in every moment of 2017. Whether you lost a loved one, God was there. Whether you received a new promotion or a new job, God was there. Whether you had to make a difficult decision concerning a family member, God was there. Whether you welcomed a new family member into your life, God was there. He was in every moment of 2017, and I can assure you something else. He will be in every moment of 2018. He is near to us, and He wants to be. And this morning, He wants to speak to us. He wants to communicate with us some very important things. Not only as we reminisce, but as we look ahead. I'm excited about 2018. I'm excited about the things that it's going to bring. We're going to begin in this moment with a, a two-part series entitled Some People. And then we're going to follow that with a two-part series entitled Headed Over Yonder in the middle of January. And yes, it's headed over yonder because I grew up in the backwoods of Slick and that's how we talk, okay? On January 28th, I'm really excited about this. James Walker is going to come preach here at our church. You should Google him. Go look him up. He is founder and CEO of the Watchman Fellowship. An apologetics mind that garners fans but also garners enemies. He's a brilliant mind when it comes to sharing your faith and sharing it with those of different faiths and those of no faiths. And he's going to be here at the end of January to share with us as he's coming 
for those following two days, Monday and Tuesday, for the State Evangelism Conference in Oklahoma City. In February, we're going to do similar to what we did this last year, and we're going to have an opportunity to highlight some of the ministries that we're a part of, Hope is Alive, Lance Lang, but more than that, just not Lance Lang, but Devin Arnold and Katiana, their, their women's leader in Tulsa, is going to be coming and sharing with us about the amazing things God is doing. And if you want to see some of those things, go follow them on social media or go to hopeisalive.org and you can see all the things that are happening within that ministry. Gosh, they've been a godsend for me this year in counseling and in uh, dealing with families in the grips of addiction. We're going to hear from our OSU BCM. John Wilkerson or, or some of his staff is going to come and share with us about how God is ultimately bringing the nations to Stillwater and how God's glory is being shown there and how the gospel is being put out there. Excited about that. We're going to hear a couple sermons concerning benevolence and our efforts here in Bristow and how we can reach out. And then in March, I plan to begin preaching through the Bible. We'll begin in Psalms. It's one of my favorite books and it's probably the one that's going to take us the longest to get through just because it's longer. But the goal is for us to find unity and strength in the Word as it, is, as it is and to gather from it what the Spirit chooses to reveal to us. I'm so excited about it, and I cannot wait to see how the Lord uses His Word to transform our lives week in and week out as we walk through it. But I want to begin today a two-part series that will be relevant for us moving forward. Some people is the title. You know the term some people. It's when you choose to talk about some people. It's when there are certain negative connotations to it. It's when there are certain things about some people that you want to get across. We use that term some people. And we're going to talk about some people. And due to the two topics, I believe, that are in Philippians 3 and 4, we're going to talk about two different some peoples. We know by Philippians 4.1 that the church at Philippi was quite possibly Paul's favorite church. As pastors and ministers, we would love to tell you that all of the churches that we have served in, and all the ministries that we've served in, are indeed equally favored. But the truth of the matter is, is that some churches we just flat out like more than others. Maybe you're like that in your life. Maybe there's just one or two churches that are head and shoulders above the rest. I can say beyond the shadow of a doubt that FBC Bristow is one of my favorites. If not, maybe in the top two of my favorites. I can also say that I may not be one of FBC Bristow's favorites after I preach this message today. So let's get on with it. I have the title of the message today, Some People Our Church Could Do Without. Some People Our Church Could Do Without. And with this message, I want us to garner some clarity on some do-nots in the church do-nots that would hinder the church as a whole from doing what God has called us to. And if you feel convicted after the message, 
work on those things and join us in the work of the gospel. And if you feel like someone else should be convicted of those things, then ask the Lord for forgiveness and go be a discipler in their life to help them work on those things, okay? We agreed? We good? With that, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3 with me. Philippians chapter 3. If you would, when you get there, stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 3, I want to start in verse 12. This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you and now say again with tears that that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him. To subject everything to himself. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, speak to us about unity. Speak to us about one cause and one goal. Speak to us about that which would hinder the prize set before us. Speak to us about what we should and should not do in moving forward in your church. Charge us, convict us, move us with your word, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Tradition claims that Jerusalem's church of the Holy Sepulchre is built over the cave in which Christ is said to have been buried. In July 2002, the church became the scene of ugly fighting between the monks who run it. The conflict began when a Coptic monk, sitting on the rooftop, decided to move his chair into the shade. This took him into the part of the rooftop courtyard looked after by the Ethiopian monks. It turns out that the Ethiopian and Coptic monks have been arguing over the rooftop of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre for centuries. In 1752, the Ottoman Sultan issued an edict declaring which parts of the church belonged to each of the six Christian groups. The Latins, the Greek Orthodox, the Armenian Orthodox, Syrian Orthodox, Copts, and the Ethiopians. Despite the edict, conflict over the church still remains and still remains even to this day. 
The rooftop had been controlled by the Ethiopians, but they lost control to the cops when hit by a disease epidemic in the 19th century. Then in 1970, the Ethiopians regained control when the Coptic monks were absent for a short period. Basically, they didn't call seat back. The students got that one. They've been squatting there ever since, with at least one Ethiopian monk always remaining on the roof to assert their rights. In response, a Coptic monk has been living on the roof also to maintain the claim of the Coptics. And so we get to a Monday in July 2002, when the Coptic monk moves his chair into the shade. Harsh words led to pushes then shoves, until an all-out brawl began between the monks, including the throwing of chairs and iron bars. And at the end of the fight, 11 of the monks were injured, including one monk unconscious in a hospital and another with a broken arm. How tragic that a church which serves as a memorial to Christ is the scene for such bitter conflict among his followers. But that is the case often, isn't it? Conflict often originates from the lack of unity and the lack of a unified goal. Paul said in what we read, Therefore let all of us think this way. Unity is integral in reaching the goal. Paul said that I push forward. I pursue my goal. The prize promised by Christ Jesus. Therefore let all of us think this way. Unity is integral in reaching the goal. But there are those who tend to mess that unity up. There are those who tend to stand in the way of unity. Some people. Those people are as follows. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. People that our church could do without. Number one. Those who are living sinful lives. Those who are living sinful lives. You may say to me immediately, Preacher, is the church not a place that sinners can come? I agree with you wholeheartedly. They can come and find the gospel. But the church, as we are discussing, the body of Christ, that which is in Christ already. Those who are living sinful lives. People that our church can do without. Look at verse 16. Paul says in verse 15, Therefore let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently, God will reveal this also to you. In any case. You know that phrase? You guys know that phrase. In any case. No matter. Nevertheless. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. 
We should live up to whatever truth we have attained. What Paul is saying here is that we should be doers of the word. We should be those that pursue holiness and righteousness. And let me tell you, those who do not and claim membership and claim partnership with the church of Jesus Christ will ruin unity, will ruin the path of the church, will ruin the goal of the prize every single time. You say, oh, but there's grace. I get that. And there's a time and a place that grace can be administered. But that does not excuse us from pursuing holiness and righteousness. Think back to just in the last few years. Those major figures in Christendom. Those major evangelical figures. Who have fallen. Who have stepped out of the will of God. Yes, there's grace. And yes, there's been moments where it's been administered perfectly by the church. But it doesn't change anything about the way it hindered movement. You see, if our church is to go forward. We as individuals need to find a place where we can repent of our sinful living. Christ told us what? To be witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Let me remind you what a witness is. That means that it is seen. When you are a witness in a trial, you saw something. When you bear witness to something, you claim that you have seen it, that you have been a part of it, that you know it. People see you. They see your witness. Sinful life does not witness for Christ, but rather against Him. The world already has a stigma They already have an idea of what the church looks like, of what Christianity looks like, of what it means to follow Christ. And what they think is that there's a bunch of rules and there's a bunch of things to follow and do. And I can't disagree with them. God has given us His Word in order that we might hide it in our heart, that we may not sin against Him. He's given us His Word so that we may walk in it. And so when the world looks at us, and we are not, we have not borne witness to Christ. We've borne witness to our sin. And therefore we have hindered a move of God. A sinful heart does not mesh with the church. Let me put it like this. Put a bottle tightly closed at the foot of the Niagara Falls and water will flow around it, but not in it. Christian, you can sit here living in your sin, 
but you will miss the boat on what God is doing in this church. And worse, you may hinder the boat. I would hate, I would hate to be convicted in my spirit, to be reminded by the spirit of a time when I hindered a move of God, a mighty move of God, because I would not repent of my sinful living. Yet, we seem to think that we can come and be a part of church. We can come and be a part of ministry. We can come and be a part of Bible study. And continue in our sin and expect God to do incredible things. Expect the walls to be pushed out. Expect the pews to be packed. While I myself am sitting in my own sin. The audacity of us to think so. A life of sin will receive no blessing. People that our church could do without those who are living sinful lives. Unrepentant sinful lives. Secondly, those who want the highest positions. Our church could do without people who desire the highest position. Look at verse 17. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. What would the example that they have in Paul be? Let's be reminded of how Paul was brought low. Let's be reminded of how Paul developed in his ministry. He began saying, a mighty warrior for Jesus Christ, coming to Philippians where he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul says, imitate that. Jesus tells us himself, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And he who wants to be the greatest, he who wants the highest position, will be the servant of all. Those who want the highest positions are dangerous for the church. Where's your heart at? That is the question that we come to with this, is where is your heart at? Are you content with the position God has called you to? Are you content with the committee that He has put you on? Are you content with the team that you serve on? Or do you struggle? I'm better than that person. I could lead that ministry better. I could do a lot more with that than they could. Charles Plum, a U.S. Naval Academy graduate, was a jet fighter pilot in Vietnam. And after 75 combat missions, his plane was destroyed by a surface-to-air missile. Plum ejected and parachuted into enemy hands. He was captured and spent six years in a communist prison. He survived that ordeal and now he travels around lecturing about lessons learned from that experience. And this is one of them. One day when Plum and his wife were sitting in a restaurant, a man at another table came up and said, You're Plum. You flew jet fighters in Vietnam from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk, and you were shot down. 
How in the world did you know that, asked Plum. The man said, I packed your parachute. Plum gasped in surprise and gratitude. The man shook his hand and said, I guess it worked. Plum assured him, it sure did. If your chute hadn't worked, I wouldn't be here today. Plum and his wife left that restaurant and went home, and Plum couldn't sleep that night thinking about that man. And Plum says this, I kept wondering what he might have looked like in a Navy uniform. A Dixie cup had a bib in the back and bell-bottom trousers. I wondered how many times I might have seen him and not even said, good morning, how are you? Or anything, because you see, I was a fighter pilot and he was just a sailor. Plum thought of the many hours that sailor had spent on a long wooden table in the bows of the ship, carefully weaving the shrouds and folding the silks of each chute, holding in his hand each time the fate of someone that he didn't know. And now Plum asked his audience this, who's packing your parachute? Everyone has someone who provides what they need to make it through the day. Charlie Plum's experience reminds us that every community needs every person playing their part if it is to function successfully. Some of those parts will be glamorous roles like a fighter pilot, while others will be behind the scenes, out of the way and seemingly unimportant jobs, like parachute packing. But all of them are vital. Church member, let me tell you that what you do within your calling, what Christ has you to do within this church is important. Whether it be to unlock the doors so that lost souls may come into the building. Whether it be to clean the carpets or clean the windows. So that we have a place that is presentable and representable of our most holy and perfect God. Whether it be in giving, whether it be in doing, whether it be the one who takes down attendance in the Sunday school room or the teacher, what you do is important. Don't stop doing it and more than that, Don't desire to be out of it. Work in what God has called you to do. Do it well and do it to the best of your ability. Just like His Word tells us. It gets really dangerous when we all start trying to work outside of our gifting. When we all start trying to work outside of what God has called us to. It gets really dangerous for a church seeking to do what God wants. Thirdly, people the church can do without is those who indulge in destructive criticism. Verse 18 and 19 with me. For I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. They are destructive. Those who indulge in destructive criticism 
can not only destroy a church, but they can destroy every individual within it on a personal, unique level. Some criticize the pastor. Some criticize the youth ministry. Some criticize the worship leader and the style of worship. Some criticize the church as a whole because they don't think that it's perfect. Well, if you're looking for a perfect church, let me know when you find it. Some would criticize Christ if he came in and did ministry today. The disciples did it. Remember the woman with the alabaster box? The disciples criticized Jesus. I would dare say there are plenty in the church who would have the audacity to walk up to Christ himself and tell him something that he didn't do right. Some of them send me emails. But let me tell you that the thing that will destroy not only a ministry of the church, but will destroy an individual and their personal call to the ministry is destructive criticism. Criticism that has no point and has no solution. I've always told my students this. I I told our boys this when we were at the ranch. I've told those that have worked under me before this. That if you do not have a solution, do not come to me with the problem. If the only thing that you are coming to me with, if the only thing that you are going to a ministry leader with, if the only thing that you are trying to discuss with a deacon is a problem, and it's a complaining session, and it's a moment for you to just vent on everything that you're upset about, do not do it. It will destroy whatever ministry you're complaining about. It will destroy the individual that you are discussing. It's destructive. If you can come with godly wisdom, godly heart, and you can say to me, listen, I I think I see an issue here. And this is what I I think would be a good, good way to handle it, a good solution, a good way to fix it. I'll sit and listen to you all day. I don't care if it's my personal ministry. I'll sit and listen to all the bad all day as long as you've got a heart that's telling me, listen, I care about it and I care about you. But if you want to come sit at my desk and try to cut down some ministry of the church or some minister of the church, I would rather you not come at all. Church, we must understand that if we are to see a move of God, we must all be on the same page looking for the same goal, striving for the same prize. And we can't do that. We are cutting each other down with our criticism. Criticism comes in plenty of ways. It comes in direct criticism. I've been on the receiving end of that one before, and I'm sure you have too. 
It comes in snide comments. Whether it be in person, whether it not be in person, whether it be on social media. Little quick things with hidden meanings behind them. Destructive criticism comes in trying to change things when God hadn't called you to. It's so hurtful when we try to do ministry and somebody else steps in trying to do it when God didn't call them to. Those are people we can do without. Those who indulge in destructive criticism. Fourthly, the gossip mongers. The gossipers. As we would call it today, those with fake news. They will destroy, they will hurt, they will even annihilate a church and its ministry. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They're focused on earthly things. Do you know you can tear down a house quicker than you can build one? It takes no time at all to speak a word that will utterly hurt someone. It takes a long time for us to work up something that would encourage them. And people that our church can do without are those who are going to err on the side of gossip. I want to tell you something. There is no doubt in my mind that you will have clarity and transparency about our church, about the ministry done in our church. There's no need, no need to ever gossip about the ministry done here. But more than that, that's easy peasy, I believe. We shouldn't gossip about one another. And I don't know why this is such an age-old thing in the church. I mean, it seems like ever since I was a kid, it's kind of the, 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 the running underlying joke. Gossip in the church. Worst gossipers. Preachers' wives and deacons' wives. If you want to know everything about the town, you run down to the church. These are age-old jokes, but they have some truth in them. We've got to learn to tame the tongue. We've got to learn that our words have meaning and they affect people. We've got to learn that if we are ever going to see God work and move like we want Him. A woman once repeated a nasty piece of gossip about a friend. The news traveled and soon everyone knew the nasty news. The woman's friend was deeply hurt, not only by the untruths, but by the betrayal of a friend. The woman who had first passed on the gossip was also wounded, racked with guilt over the pain she had caused her friend. 
she approached her grandfather, a man she'd always seen as very wise, and asked what she could do to set things right. And he said, go buy a chicken and have it killed. Did your grandpa ever tell you anything off the wall like that? Just as a side note here, did you ever go and ask your grandpa about anything, like something serious in life, and all of a sudden he starts talking about chickens or he starts talking about the cows? Yeah. She went to her grandpa and, and he told her to go get a chicken and kill it. And then on your way home, he said, pluck its feathers and drop them along the road. And when you've done that, come and see me again. The woman was somewhat perplexed, as you would be by this advice, but she followed it anyway, because grandpa's always right. The next day, she returned to her grandfather. This time, he told her to go and collect all the feathers she had dropped on the road. But that's impossible, she said. They'll all have blown away. Exactly, said her grandfather. It's easy to drop them, but it's impossible to get them back. It is the same with words of gossip. It doesn't take much to spread a rumor to start something silly and hurtful. But once you do, you can never undo the hurt. But perhaps you can ask forgiveness. It would be a good place to start. Our church is going to see God move. We've got to be in unity, and we cannot be in unity if we communicate ill will falsely against somebody else. Lastly, in closing, not only can our church do without those who are living sinful lives and those who want the highest positions. Those who indulge in destructive criticism and the gossipers. But our church could do without the overly sensitive. Like I said, I don't plan on being FBC's favorite after this message. In fact, for a moment, the Lord wasn't my favorite. When he started communicating the word to me for this. Because this hits home and it hits hard. Verse 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. Say, what does that have to do with? Being overly sensitive. Listen. God has not called you. To earthly pleasure or earthly pain. What he has called you to. Is himself. And a mind that is set on things above. We are an alien. We are a foreigner in this land. And we have a home that is beyond it. Quit getting so worked up about all the small stuff. Quit getting so offended. 
Some folks seem to have good sense, yet we walk on eggshells, lest we offend them. That church is carnality. That's humanity at its core. It's the flesh that we battle against. And what Paul is reminding us is that we are not citizens here. Have you ever been to a foreign country? One of the things that happens when you travel is that you try to learn as much as you can to not offend anybody. On the different mission trips that I've been out of the country, that's been one of the main things is they debrief you as soon as you get there. Okay, here's the deal. Don't say these words. Don't do these things. Don't make these gestures. Don't look at these people. Don't talk when somebody else is talking. I tell my kid that one too. You have to eat this food. It's okay if you don't eat this food. But the people there, it is their place. You're not from there. And they're not concerned if you're offended or not. The same is true of the Christian life of the church. We're not from here. Our citizenship is in heaven. The world cares not whether you are offended or not. Paul is reminding us, remember the thing that you are headed towards. Full circle. Remember the prize that you push forward to. Grow some thick skin. Get over yourself. The overly sensitive. These folks, which believe me, is more of us than you think. When we face the Lord in heaven, I fear that we're going to have to utter some words like this. Lord, We couldn't serve you as we should because our feelings were just too hurt. Christian, church member, what are you not doing in this church because your feelings are just too hurt? I'm not suggesting that you're wrong. I'm not suggesting that the other person who has hurt you was right. What I am suggesting is that get over yourself and let us as a church push forward to the things which God has called us to. Let's quit worrying about me and start worrying about what God has called us to. Let's quit worrying about ourselves, worrying about how we feel, worrying about how others feel. And let's do what God has called us to do. We can do ministry. We can do what God has called us to do. There are going to be people that don't want us to. There are going to be people that disagree. 
I understand that. That is the way that it works within human circles and relationships. Is that when we get together, we're just a bunch of imperfect humans coming under the head of Jesus Christ. And yes, you and I are not going to see eye to eye on everything. But what we can see eye to eye on is that which God has called us to. And if I'm being perfectly honest with you, if God has called us to do this, I can care less about how you feel about it. Unless you're on board with it. These are the people that our church can do without. Especially as we move forward into what God has called us to. A couple disclaimers for the message. First is don't misunderstand. Don't think that I'm wanting you to walk out the door. God desires heart change. He doesn't desire an empty seat in your pew. If one of these things is something that you struggle with, I would challenge you that when the time comes... When the invitation time comes that you spend a moment either where you are or at this altar. Working that out with your Heavenly Father. Another disclaimer. If you see people around you. Who are one of these people that the church could do without. Do not shun them. Do not cast them aside and do not push them out. Rather, disciple them. Spend some time in fervent prayer about how God would have you to work in their life. Spend some time considering the words that need to be spoken, the things that need to be done between you and them. Let me remind you, that's what church looks like. That's what church is. Body believers helping each other pursue the prize, the goal, which God has called us to. Next week, we'll be happier. Next week, we'll talk about some people that the church can't do without. Maybe you're one of those people, too. But today, let's work on our hearts. Are we doing something that's hindering God's move? Are we doing something that's hindering God's work? Let's change it today. And let's see if God doesn't pour out His blessing, His favor, His presence on us in this community. Let's pray together. Should be a pretty simple time of invitation. With God's word so apparent, so open to us, what He would speak to us today. Those that the church can do without. Where is your heart at in that? 
Did one of those things speak to you today? Are you one of those people? One of those that indulge in destructive criticism. One of those people who gossip at every chance they can. One of those people who are living in their sin, not repentant, not worried or concerned about it. Spend a moment praying and seeking the Father for forgiveness for how you change. Every head bowed, every eye closed as they begin to play and sing. I want you to spend just a moment. I'm just going to have them do a, a verse and a chorus. I, I just want you to spend a moment seeking the Lord on how